Go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you haven't already, and you can open them to Matthew chapter 12, where we're going to be this morning. And I want you to take something out uh, to take notes with, phone, paper, something like that to take notes with. We got a Bible and notes. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to read a story for you as we start uh, the message this morning. I'm going to read a story that we're going to be talking about. And there's three characters in the story that you need to be familiar with. I'm going to introduce them to you now, and we'll begin talking more about them in the rest of our time together. The first character is Jesus. The second character or maybe group of characters is uh, the religious leaders of the day. They're called Pharisees. And number three, there's a guy who has a withered hand, a crippled hand. Those are the three characters in the story. And in the story, Jesus and the Pharisees, they get into a conversation, a little bit of a conflict, actually, about something in the law. Uh, the Pharisees were kind of the keepers of the law. They knew what was going on. And they're getting into a conversation with Jesus about something in the law. And spoiler alert, the man with the crippled hand gets healed. That's probably why it's in the Bible. So... Matthew 12, verse 9. Anybody there? Okay. For the 95% of you who aren't, it's about to be on the screens. No worries. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 says this. It says, Jesus went on from there and entered into the Pharisees' synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they asked him so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Say, stretch out your hand. There we go. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. Interesting story. We'll put that on hold for just a moment. I've got an incredibly passionate little three-year-old girl. I talked about her a little earlier. Her name is Rose. And uh, she has intensely strong opinions and preferences about everything in life. And to go along with those intense opinions and preferences, she has equally intense emotions about those opinions and those preferences. She is a tiny little three-year-old, but there is a lot packed in to that tiny little body. And so when I like kind of really hit something on the mark, when I hit the target with her, I mean, she's giggling and squealing and running around. But the next second, if I put the lid on the cup that she wanted to put the lid on, tragedy. Absolute tragedy, instant meltdown, tears, anger, devastation. I mean, melt onto the ground. I mean, just like that. And lately, something that she has been intensely opinionated about and preferential about is uh, whether she eats any given meal with a fork or a spoon. And what she's equally passionate about is not only if she eats with a fork or a spoon, but which specific fork and spoon she wants in that given moment. This has been something that she has been, been really intense about recently. And so when we're, it's time for eat, I'll ask Rose. I'll say, hey, Rose, do you want a fork or a spoon? I've learned. Don't, don't guess, just ask. Save yourself a meltdown, right? So I'll say, hey, Rose, do you want a fork or a spoon for dinner tonight? And she'll say something like a spoon. But if I don't bring the exact spoon that she has in her mind when she says, I want a spoon, all of those intense preferences and opinions collide with those emotions and they intersect with utter disappointment. And she looks at me and screams with her whole little body, not that one. It's, it's 
It's, an, it's a dramatic event when I pick the wrong spoon. And I kind of have this thing in my life where I'm consistently picking the wrong one, whether it's the wrong spoon with Rosie, the wrong fork with Rosie, or if Heather sends me to the grocery store, I will come back with the wrong thing. It's, uh, you know, so ask for almond milk, I'll get the wrong kind. You know, with specific dairy-free chocolate chips, I get the wrong kind, you know? It's what I'm notorious for is uh, parsley or what, yeah, cilantro or parsley. I don't know the difference. So it's a 50-50 shot is what I bring home. And so I'll bring back the groceries and she'll, because she's so sweet and nice, she doesn't get mad at me, which I'm so thankful for. But inevitably what happens is she'll get the bag of groceries and she'll pull out the almond milk and she'll say, oh, you got this almond milk. And I say, yeah, I thought, I thought that's what you wanted. And she says, well, I do want almond milk, but not this one, right? Not this one. And if Maybe that's not you, but if, you, uh, if you're a man, you've ever been on a date and you've asked the question, Where do you, what restaurant do you want to go to tonight for our date? And you get the answer, doesn't matter. Anything's good. Oh, cool. Let's go to this one. Uh, not that one, right? Not that one. I, I want to I preach a message to you this morning simply called, not that one. Not that one. I want you to write that down this morning. Not that one. And uh, we're going to go through a bunch of different things this morning. I want you to stick with me as we go through this message this morning. There may be a few times where you're not quite sure where this is going. And uh, clearly this title has nothing to do with the story we just read, but I'm praying that by the end of this, uh, we'll come around and we're all going to get a word from God. Amen. Awesome. So just stick with me. So I'm Aladdin, you're Jasmine. The stage is a magic carpet. Do you trust me? Let's do this. So Matthew 12, 9 through 14, we read this story earlier. Jesus, the Pharisees, and a guy with a withered hand. I want to tell you a little bit of context about what's going on here to help us sort of get where we're going this morning. And the first thing I want you to write down in your notes is just the word Sabbath, Sabbath. Jesus is in sort of a battle in these, uh, in these verses. He's in, a, he's in a little bit of a battle with the religious bigwigs of the day called Pharisees about the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a day that God had, inc- that God had included in his law. It was a day, one day of the week where nobody was supposed to do anything. So it was a mandated rest day by the law every week. So we've got Jesus, and he's God. We've got the Pharisees, who are the people who are supposed to be closest to God. And the Pharisees are consistently getting in a fight with Jesus about the Sabbath. So in other words, the Pharisees are consistently trying to challenge God about his own law, which in short is why Jesus and the Pharisees never quite seem to get along. So that's kind of what's going on here in in these verses. And really just the verses right before the passage that we just read, there's another story that took place on the previous Sabbath. So uh, 12.9, the story we read is happening on a Sabbath. The verses one through eight of chapter 12 happened the Sabbath before. So like the Sunday morning before the story we just read. And they're in another conversation. Jesus and his buddies, they're walking down the street. And what happens is Jesus' disciples eat some grain in a way that the Pharisees didn't like. And they get all up in Jesus' face about it. Like, hey, you're going to call your guys on that? We saw it. We probably shouldn't even be on the street right now, but we saw it. You're wrong. You know, it's like your eyes were open during prayer. It's like, well, weren't yours too? So you know what I'm saying? So they're having this conversation, and Jesus responds with some very interesting things, but I want to read verses 6, 7, of 8 of chapter 12, just before our story, with what Jesus responds to the week before when the Pharisees challenge him about the Sabbath. Jesus responds to them, he says this in verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. 
In verse seven, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And lastly, in verse eight, he says, for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, what is all that about? There's a lot here and we're not gonna dig into, but what will be sufficient for us this morning is to know that the Pharisees pretty much loved three things. They loved three things. They loved their temple, they loved their religion, and they loved being right about their religion. That's what these guys, like pretty much three favorite things were. And in verses six, seven, and eight, Jesus essentially tells them, I'm more important than your temple. You're totally missing the point of your whole religion. And I'm actually the God of your religion. Very intense response and uh, would have been incredibly awkward for anybody observing this conversation the week before. So that's the moment that we're stepping into in verse nine in the story that we read. We're back to the Sabbath. Another week has come and gone. Jesus is back in the synagogue and the Pharisees are there. And now there's a man with a withered hand and the Pharisees, on Jesus's case as usual, they asked Jesus, hey, is it lawful for you to heal this guy on the Sabbath? And they asked him because they wanted to accuse him. They're always looking for something to accuse Jesus about because they know all the rules. So obviously there's tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. And there's this question in the air, is it lawful for you to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Now the Pharisees here, they're trying to sound really smart because again, they, they're the guys that know all the answers. They're not, asking, they're not really asking Jesus for an answer. They're asking because they want to accuse him. So they're asking him an incredibly loaded question if we went into all the culture and all that stuff, we'd understand how loaded it is. But instead of going into that culture, maybe today it would be something similar to a group of religious leaders looking at Jesus, who maybe uh, was in our church this morning, and asking him a loaded question. You know, something simple like, hey, hey, Jesus, you seem to know what you're talking about. Where, where are you at with this, like, black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter thing? You know, no big deal, just a simple question. Or maybe it would have been something like, hey, Jesus, are you a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent? And really, if I could just ask a follow-up on that one, what I really want to know is, what do you think about Donald Trump? That's this question that they're asking. They're asking a loaded question, and they're asking it with an attitude. Like, what do you think is right? Because we know what's right. We know what's right because we're really godly, and we know all the rules, and we know all the answers. So uh, whatever you're about to say, I hope you're right. And by I hope you're right, I mean you better agree with us. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be around religious people like that all the way back then. Can you imagine that's how people used to be? Can you imagine what it would have been like if people like that would have ever gotten a hold of something like the internet or Facebook or something? I mean, we really dodged a bullet there, not having to deal with people like this, right? So basically, Jesus responds to their question because he doesn't really like their attitude. And he responds this way in verse 11. He says to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, bridging the cultural gap here. I don't really have any sheep. I don't know if you do either. But basically what Jesus is saying to their smart question is, hey, okay, if one of you guys dropped $1,000 on the street on the way to church this morning, wouldn't you have bent down and picked it up? How much more value is this human than your check? So what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? Do good, that's what's lawful. And don't be jerks, 
like you're being right now. Like, don't be jerks. Just do good. He doesn't like their attitude, and he doesn't really answer the question the way they want him to answer it. And on top of that, he calls the dude over and says, hey, stretch out your hand. Bang. Heals him. And it's amazing. But instead of celebrating and saying, whoa, you must be God, they run off and they figure out how they're gonna kill Jesus. Now there's a really good sermon right here about how if you get more distracted about being right than loving people, you're gonna find yourself so right that you're gonna walk right past Jesus. And instead of looking like this God that you claim to serve, you're gonna end up fighting against him and miss the whole point. But that's not the one I wanna talk about this morning. Not that one. I don't wanna do that one. Because I think there's something deeper going on here. If we aren't careful, we can look at these two stories, the, ones that we, the, the one that we summarized and the one that we've read this morning. We can look at these two stories and look at the overall relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we can maybe just kind of write it off as like, you know, a couple of groups of people that just didn't like each other. Like, hey, you know, even, everybody's got enemies. Even Jesus had some enemies, right? We could just write it off. But, but I think there's something deeper than that going on because the Bible is clear and Jesus is the word of God. And so he understands this truth that our fight in life isn't against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces in this dark world is what the Bible says. And Jesus said at other times, you know, things like turn the other cheek, expect people to hate you. He died for people who put the nails in his hands on the cross. So I, I think it's more than Jesus just doesn't like these guys. I think there's something going on more than just like some public figures having a Twitter fight. Maybe there's something deeper going on here. And what I think is happening is that Jesus is not, he's not just trying to show some people up and be the guy. I think that Jesus is actually trying to completely dismantle an entire belief system that these people had. And it was keeping people from seeing the truth of what God is really like. This is deeper than, hey, I don't agree with you. Jesus is trying to take down a whole belief system. So the Pharisees, they're advocating. They were advocating the prevailing religious thought of the day, which was the law. Are we doing okay so far? I know it's a lot of background, but like I said, just stick with me. They took, they took that to mean, so they're, they're, they're uh, the people who enforced the law, and they took that to mean that whoever did the most right was the most loved by God. And whoever did wrong or thought wrong or was wrong or who, anybody who was just less right than them, God hated those wrong people. That's kind of how the Pharisees took it. So because these guys were kind of systematically in charge, they were uh, in charge in the city, they were in charge in the church, they had political influence, whatever they said was just kind of taken as truth. Nobody could really challenge it. So everybody's reading their blogs, sharing their Facebook posts, liking their Instagram, and all that stuff, and, and shaping, well, they say God's like this, so it must be true. Because after all, if somebody's famous, and they say something on a blog, or on the news, or even on a microphone, then surely it's it's true, right? So there's these guys, and they're the elites, and nobody can challenge them, and they've pervaded this belief that when it comes to church, when it comes to coming to God, you better bring your best stuff. I mean, again, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world like that, where people thought that and acted like that? I just can't imagine you imagine Christians acting like that? Man. 
They had missed the point so much that they had even made this day, the Sabbath, a day that was meant to be a day of rest. They had made it one of the most stringently monitored and impossibly heavy days to fall in line with. They even had rules down to how many grams of herbs you could carry and how far you could carry them. They had taken it a little too far. Now, this seems like a whole lot of fuss about how to do Sunday morning. Am I right? What's going on here? This is a, this is a big fuss, but this is actually a, a big deal to God because he had established the Sabbath day when he had given the law, like I said. So if you go back to Exodus 31, 13, when God is giving his people the law, he introduces the Sabbath in Exodus 31, 13, and he says this. He says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify. That's the next word I want you to put in your notes. Sanctify. Those are big words. Above all else. That's, that's big. And what God essentially says here is that more than anything that I've commanded you, I want you to have a rhythm in your life that one day a week you do nothing as a reminder that I'm enough. Don't farm for one day and watch how I feed you. Don't run errands for one day and watch how I satisfy you. The one rule on this day is don't do anything that requires you to follow rules so that you remember that even when you do nothing, when you provide me nothing, when you give me nothing, when you're putting zero effort into proving yourself to me, I love you. I love you. I always love you. Your work, your righteousness, your stuff, it doesn't save you. I do because I love you. Above all else, don't forget, it's just my grace that reaches down and loves you. So these guys had taken God's weekly reminder of his grace, they'd weighed it down with a whole bunch of rules. It's starting to make a little bit of sense why Jesus is so fired up about this. See, their ability to keep the Sabbath blinded them from the Lord of the Sabbath. They gotten so distracted by their own efforts that they missed Jesus altogether. In, all, in following all of the commandments, they forgot the greatest commandment, right? Which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They weren't loving God. They were just trying to follow the rules and pat themselves on the back for doing it. And in missing the first commandment, they missed the second commandment that's a lot like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So they've missed out on loving God, and now it's gotten to the point where this belief system has taken them to the point where they will pick up their money off the street on a Sabbath day, but when it comes to loving people, just a smart question. Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They've gotten a little distracted. So Jesus, in this story, he calls this guy over and he says, let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. That's the next word I want you to write down this morning. Stretch it out. Now, if it would be amazing this morning if there was somebody who had just had like surgery or something that couldn't use one of their hands. That'd be a perfect sermon illustration. If his name was Brad Huff, that'd be incredible. Hey, Brad, come on up. Give him a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Kathy, is Brad a man of God or what? He sure is. So, yeah, you picked the dangerous side. This is Brad. He had surgery recently. 
but he still looks great, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. So Jesus, are we, how, are we, how are we doing? Good, okay. Less people than last time, but that's okay. Stretch, he says, stretch it out. So Jesus pulls this guy up, and I'm about to infer some things from the text and assuming something that might have been going on that maybe is in between the lines. So you can take it or leave it, but I think that this stuff is pretty fair. One thing I do know is that uh, if Brad was this guy with the withered hand, uh, Brad had to take a couple days off of work. But if you were a guy that had a crippled hand, you couldn't work at all. So he would have been a beggar. So Sundays or Sabbath days, he would have gone to the synagogue all the time because that would have been the day uh, to basically do the best you can begging because people are feeling extra nice because they're going to church and church is all about how good you can be, so we're gonna give a little extra money, right? Woo! Just a few light zingers this morning. So this guy would have been at church a lot. He would have spent a lot of time in church, just like Brad. So he's got his withered hand, and, and, and all of his time at church, he would have heard the sermons from Sunday as he sat outside and begged. He would have understood. He would have seen people come and go every week. He would know the culture, know the expectation, and he would know that when it comes to church, you bring your best. You bring your best stuff. That's how it goes. That's how it goes, and that's why he's off to the side, because he's got a withered hand. He can't bring his best, so that's why he's a second-class citizen, you bring your best clothes, you bring your best face. When it comes to Jesus, or when it comes to God, you, you bring your best stuff. That's what he knew was the expectation. So Jesus asks for his hand, says, let me see your hand. So which hand would he have given Jesus, do you think? I mean, if Jesus is gonna use you as a sermon illustration and says, let me see your hand, and you only have one good hand, I mean, you're gonna give him the good hand. Like, hey, yeah, check it out. So if, so if he says, hey, stretch out your hand. Okay. <laughs> Whoopee. He stretched out his hand. That's great. That's great. But Jesus didn't come to fit into their religious system. He came to reveal who God is. He came to put God's heart on full display so that you and I and everybody through all of history could see what God is really like. So in a religious system that demanded that you bring your best for God, in a culture where a withered hand put you on the outside and made you a second-class citizen, Jesus would have looked at his hand and said, not that one. Not that one. Let me see your hand. No, not that one. And Brad would have looked at Jesus and said, this one? This one? You want this one? That's my withered hand. It's the Sabbath. We're in the temple. You can't do anything with that. That's my withered hand. That's, that's my weakness. You don't want that. That's my handicap. You don't want that. That's my inability. You... You don't, you don't want that. Here, here, Jesus, you need a hand? Take my strong hand. But as much as Jesus is in this moment to heal the man's withered hand, like we said, this is so much bigger. He's trying to dismantle an entire belief system. He's trying to bring them back to the heart of God. And he says, no, there's something greater than the temple here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's the point of the Sabbath. So what if I tell you to stretch out your hand and you stretch out your strong hand? Not that one, I'm trying to do a miracle. Not that one, I'm trying to show you what God is really like. Not that one, don't pretend like you don't, or you think I don't know that you don't have it all together. I don't need your strong hand, that one, that one. 
I want to show you who I'm really like. I'm the God of your inability. I'm the God of your weakness. I'm the God of your pain. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies your desire with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Not that one, that one. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. In verse 13, it says, the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy, just like the other. Thanks. When he stretched it out, it became strong. It's the next word I want you to write down this morning. When he stretched it out, it became strong. And I love that in this story, Jesus didn't heal the man's withered hand at the expense of his strong hand. See, Jesus wants to heal what's withered in you, but he also wants to use what's strong in you. You have gifts, you have strengths. God put those in you and he wants to use those things in your life for his glory. But like the man in the story, one strong hand is great and it's valuable, but one strong hand is not gonna get you too far. He had a strong hand, but it was the withered hand that made him a beggar. It was the withered hand that put him off to the side. And the truth about your life is that it's gonna take both hands to do all that God's called you to do. It's gonna take both hands. And the will of God isn't to try to partner your strong hand with a withered hand. God wants to partner your strong hand with a healed hand. So Jesus tells you in your withered place, in your withered hand, in your withered heart, in your withered hope, stretch it out. Stretch it out. I know that's the one that can't be used. I know that's the one that disqualifies you. It's the thing in your past that told you that you can't do anything and everybody else told you you were right. You pushed, pushed off to the side. I know that withered thing in you, but stretch it out. Stretch it out. And when you stretch it out, you're gonna find strength. When you stretch out your hand, when you stretch out your withered hope, when you stretch out your withered dreams, when you stretch out your withered passions, you're going to find strength in the name of Jesus. God doesn't get rid of what's withered at the expense of what's strong. He wants to partner your strong hand with a healed hand so that now when God demonstrates his love and himself to the world through your strength, you have a story to tell with it. See, Jesus didn't heal the guy so that he could be a beggar with two good hands. When he healed him, he was releasing him. Releasing him from an identity. Releasing him from shame. Releasing him from being cast out to the fringes. And he was releasing him in to what God had called him to do. See, people are gonna see you doing now when God heals you, people are gonna see you doing what God's called you to do. You're gonna walk in his power. You're gonna walk in his anointing. People are gonna see your character. They're gonna see your marriage. They're gonna see your gifting, your calling. They're gonna see the success that God puts on your life as you walk in what he's called you to do. And they're gonna be drawn to your strong hand. They're gonna be drawn to it. And they're gonna ask you about your strong hand. How did you do that? I know where your marriage was. How'd you do that? I know how discouraged you were about what God was, or what, what, where your life was going, but man, how'd you do that? They can be drawn to that strong hand. How, how'd you do that? What did you do to get here? How are you so strong? 
How are you so strong? In other words, look at all that you're doing with that strong hand. They're going to be drawn and they're going to ask about it. And you're going to have something, to, you're going to have a story now to tell them and say, no, 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 no. It's not that one. It's not that one. It's not my strong hand that got me here. It's my stretched hand. Let me tell you about Jesus. And your stretched hand will serve as a sign to all generations that is God who sanctifies you. Jesus was having more than a little fight with some guys who disagreed about the law. When Jesus came, he was trying to rework and dismantle whole systems that had been shadowing who he really was. And then today in our life, in our world, we actually do have a lot of this same stuff running around, huh? We got a lot of religious systems that are hiding what Jesus is really like. A lot of people trying to follow the rules and they're missing Jesus along the way. A lot of people so focused on being right that they've missed the people in front of them. We know what that's like. And we've got a lot of people walking around with withered hands who know God has a call on their life, but they just can't step into it because something's been withered. Maybe you were born with it. Maybe it happened in some injury along the way, some event along the way. There's something withered in your life. And Jesus didn't come to establish bigger rules so that we could earn ourselves back to God. He came to restore that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's your Lord who comes to you when you can do nothing. He is the Lord who fills you when you have nothing to give. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. The call of God on your life isn't prove yourself to me. Let's see how much you can give and maybe I'll give you a thumbs up. He looks at you this morning. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I come to God just wondering if I can earn a smile on his face or something. And he welcomes me and he says, no, my, my desire is to show you mercy. This is who our God is. He's not that one that everybody's so sick of. He's not that one that's all hateful, that people are turning away from. He's not that one that's boring, that has a whole generation running from Jesus. He's not that one. That's caused us to do church in such a way to make everybody on the outside make sure they feel like on the outside. He's not that one. He's better than the temple. He's better than church. He's better than anything we can build in our lives to impress him and hold him. And if we knew what it meant that he desires mercy and not sacrifice, then we wouldn't condemn the guiltless. And sometimes as Christians, we're carrying around guilt that Jesus already took care of because we miss the fact that his desire is mercy, not sacrifice. And he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the God of coming to you, reaches out his hand and pulls you close. Will you stretch out to the Lord of the Sabbath? Because when you stretch out, when you meet Jesus in that place where you have nothing to give, where you have nothing that can earn you anything, where you have nothing to bring, you're immobilized, 
the gifts on your life, you can't walk out on them. The passions in your life, you can't do it. The decisions that you've made disqualified you and knocked you down and slowed you down in that place where you have nothing to give and you meet him at the Lord as the Lord of the Sabbath. It's that moment that he's trying to show to you and to every generation after you, it's me. It's me that sanctifies you. I want you to go ahead and stand this morning as we close our time together. I believe Jesus is still really into tearing down bad belief systems. Really into not following how we think things ought to go, but instead showing us who he really is. And I believe that this morning that Jesus, just like he did to that man, he's speaking to some withered hands this morning. Maybe he's speaking to your withered heart. He's speaking to some withered relationships, some withered hopes, some withered gifts some withered passions. Jesus is speaking to what is withered in you this morning. Because what's withering, what's withered in you is immobilizing you. And God has called us to be a mobilized church. And he wants to speak to you and encourage you, stretch it out. Stretch it out. Is it your hand? Is it your hope? What is it? Stretch it out. And I don't know what it looks like for you to stretch out your withered hand. I don't know what it looks like, but you don't need my ideas, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what the guy needed to stretch out. Stretch out your hand. And I believe in these moments together, Jesus is gonna look at you and say, stretch out your, and nail it, whatever it is. He's so good. And as we sing this song together, I want to invite you to declare the goodness of God over your life, that he heals what's withered. He gives strength to what you stretch. Don't bring your strong hand right now to Jesus. Bring your withered one and ask him, God, what's withered in me and how do I stretch it out? Because I believe you're going to give me strength. It's probably what you don't want, probably what you're scared of. But he's telling you, just stretch it out, stretch it out. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna go into one more song together and I've asked a few people to be available over on the side. We have a prayer team um, in our times together and if you need to stretch something out, I want you to just open your heart to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, would you come and would you tell me what needs to be stretched out? Would you point out what's withered in me? Would you give me the faith to stretch? And you may just need somebody to pray with you and that's all these people are available, are over here for is that you need somebody to pray with you and say, I don't know what to do, but I don't know how to pray, but would you pray for me? I don't know if you don't want to go over there because you don't know what somebody might think, but don't worry about what anybody else might think. So if you need Jesus, do what you got to do to get to him. Amen. So I want you to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes as we begin praying and worshiping right now. And just in, as we close, you might be here this morning realizing that you've never even come to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. You have a heart, you have a life that's been withered and it, you need Jesus to stretch you out and make you new. And if that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you as we sing this song to go over and find somebody, maybe the person who brought you, person over here praying, just go to somebody and say, I don't know what it looks like, but I need Jesus. Today can be your day to be made completely new by the love and the power of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you, God, that you are a passionate God who dismantles what we think about you to show us who you really are. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, in this song, in these moments, in these minutes together, would you show us who you are? 
God, even offend us where we need to be offended. Tell us to stretch out what needs to be stretched out. Lord, we bring you our withered hand this morning. We bring you what might be withered in our hearts. Would you highlight it, Holy Spirit? Would you give us faith to stretch out our hand? And I thank you, God, that in this moment, people are going to find strength where they've been withered. And I thank you that you're mobilizing us into what you've called us to do. I thank you that you're not only restoring one hand, you're mobilizing both hands. And I pray, God, that as a result of your healing, a result of an encounter with you, that there would be people who watch the way that you manifest yourself in our lives and come and say, how did you do that? And we'd be able to tell them about Jesus. We'd be able to tell them, Jesus healed my withered hand and he wants to heal heal yours too. But I pray that what happens out of this moment will be so much bigger than this moment. We invite you in these moments as we declare that you are great. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord of the Sabbath. In my weakness, in my inability, great are you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's sing.